Sacred Pause with Jessica Winderl. Hi there, this is Jessica. And before we dive into this week's episode, I'd just like to share a few quick announcements from the Atman Yoga School. So we have registration open for all of our programs in 2019 and starting to announce some of our 2020 programs. We have our 200-hour vinyasa and Ayurveda yoga teacher training, and it starts in Oslo in June and in Trondheim in October. We have our restorative yoga and yoga nidra teacher training. This is a 25-hour weekend program, and the Oslo training is the first weekend in May. The Trondheim training is the first weekend in July. So if any of these are of interest to you, please send us an email at hello at atmanyogaschool.com. Additionally, we have registration open for the modules of our 340-hour advanced yoga teacher training. So the deal with this program is you can take each module individually just for your own knowledge or for your own continuing education. Each module is 100 hours uh, plus homework, or you can take all three of the modules to complete the entire 340-hour advanced certification. So module two starts in May, module three is in November, and module one will be offered again in May 2020. So if you are considering joining us for the full 340 hour certification, I urge you to enroll for module two coming up in May. This is the last opportunity of the foreseeable future anyways, that I'm planning on offering the entire 340 hour program. So if you start in May, then you do module two, module three, and then you end with module one. Uh, The modules can be taken out of order. So sign up if you want to join us. Otherwise, uh, you can just take an individual module if that is calling to your heart. I plan to create a little bit more space in my life for 2020 and uh, bring some of my teachings back to the U.S., which is super exciting. And also, of course, just slowing down a little bit and having more space in my personal life. So Send us an email, hello at atmanyogaschool.com or check out our website, atmanyogaschool.com. All right. Can't wait to share this episode with you. It's a really good one. I mean, this conversation left me buzzing for a long time after our phone call ended. So enjoy. Bye. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the One Sacred Pause podcast. I'm Jessica, your host, and today I have a super fun guest. I'm really excited to introduce her to talk about crystals and intention and meditation and yoga and all of the really good stuff that we love so much. So I want to welcome Victoria Larkins to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yes, you're so welcome. It's, um, yeah, I'm, I can't wait to hear hear all the wisdom you've got to share and everything that we can dive into. And you are located in Boulder, Colorado, and currently in the middle of a snowstorm. So I'm so <laughs> happy that you're able to join and, and be cozy at home while we talk about all this stuff. I'm so excited to connect and uh, I think it's just so beautiful that what you're creating is a community that 
you know, doesn't have boundaries with where we live. Anyone can tune in. And so I'm really excited to be a part of it. Thank you. Covered up with all my crystals. <laughs> yes, yes. And so this is really a passion of yours that has now also turned into your business as well. Can you just sort of explain um, where your love for crystals came from and then how that sort of led into you creating a life that is uh, based around and supportive of everything that you love about crystals? Mm. Yeah. I My journey with crystals kind of took me by surprise. I grew up in Northern California and was raised pretty conservatively. And I moved to Boulder, Colorado to go to CU for college. And I moved there at a time when I was healing um, or attempting to heal from a lot of depression and anxiety and an eating disorder that was really ruling my life. And I walked into this crystal shop um, around the same time that I had begun a yoga teacher training. So crystals and energy and breath and connection to something deep within me was kind of my focus at the time. And I couldn't put my hands down from this Laramar crystal. And Laramar is this beautiful blue stone that really is only found in the Dominican Republic now. Hmm. And it's, they're saying it's going extinct. There's not any more you know, resources that they can find of it. So it's, it's really limited to, to find, which makes it a really rare stone. And I mean, it's just such an incredible stone. And I was kind of bewildered by my connection to it, <laughs> to be honest. And I remember that the store owner brought me this book, which is the Book of Stones by Robert Simmons and Manisha Hassan. And he took me to this page that was all about Larimar. And it turns out, as I read, that Larimar was all about healing the connection to your heart and your throat chakra. And specifically, the teaching of Larimar is all about you know, coming inwards and developing a relationship with truth inside of yourself um, and then being able to communicate that. But truth and what is your relationship to every facet of who you are? Can you own that? Can you accept all the parts of yourself? And within reading all of this, I was just crying because I was in this mm. journey of, of exactly that, trying to connect back to myself after having become really disconnected from myself. Um, and so I bought the Larimar stones with, well, I went back, I, I taught my first yoga class and I used that money actually to buy the Larimar. And so it was just a really beautiful, um, kind of new direction that I took in my life, believing that a stone had properties and that it could help me connect back with myself. And 
I, I think from there, I got really curious about energy and about the, the power of working with stones. And I, I started to make malas, which are these, um, if you're not familiar, I'm sure you are, but the mala beads are, uh, um, a necklace that's used in the yogic system with 108 beads that you can utilize to help you keep track of your meditation practice. So if you were chanting a mantra or using an intention, you could put your finger on each stone and go through it 108 times, which is a really sacred number. And that is a much more harmonious approach as opposed to setting a timer um, in meditation. And so I got really curious about that and started to make malas. And within that, I started to set intention every time I tied a knot in the mala string. And it was just a spontaneous self-care kind of activity I did for myself. Um, but I found that to be really effective for holding myself accountable to the, the changes that I wanted to make in my life. And so I started making malas for friends <laughs> and working with them one-on-one -on -one with the intentions that they had and then finding stones that had the same properties or supportive properties um, to, to use in their mala. Um, and so I started doing that and... I was really deepening in my own yoga practice and felt this call for more, felt this call to deepen beyond just the physical practice of asana. And I had this yoga teacher at the time that would always say this quote that really resonated with me. And the quote was, you are born free and you'll die free, but will you live free? Mm, I've never heard that. Oh. Isn't that just so, like, it brings you into the moment. Yeah. Right? Ooh. Ooh, that's and so it good. Was so I just, it couldn't, every time she'd say that quote, it would, it would awaken me. It would stop me. And I would, I would pause. I would truly pause and remember, like, wow, how potent is this moment to actualize everything I know I can. Um, and so I asked her, who is this? Where'd you get this quote? Like, where's it coming from? <laughs> who said it? And it turns out she had a teacher in India named Anand Hocha. And I literally went online that night and found him and booked a ticket and went to India um, a few months later. And really followed this quote all the way to his center, which is the Sattva Yoga Center in the base of the Himalayas, right outside of Rishikesh in India. And I learned, uh, I learned from him and then went on to take a training with him. That is a style of yoga called Sattva Yoga that is really revolutionary and brilliant in the, in the sense that it's, it's the science and the system of every branch of yoga. And so sattva yoga, it incorporates breath work and mantra 
and asana and leia and sufi movement and sounds and wisdom it incorporates all of the branches of yoga in waves and it's the science of seeing that yoga was really never meant to be compartmentalized and so upon practicing this this style of yoga and and i ended up going back and forth to india um over the course of the next 4 years to um, further study with him and then actually take a training with him to teach the style of yoga, I became so in love with incorporating yoga into every aspect of my life. And it, it, it really was the deepening that I had desired. I just didn't know that mm. it would be everything I ever wanted of addressing all layers of, you know, ourselves. Um, and when we would go to India, we would do what's called a puja ceremony. And a puja ceremony is a fire ceremony where we offer different, um, sometimes it's different woods or different types of, we pour ghee. Um, we offer these offerings to the fire um, as an offering to the elements of nature. And we go around and we chant specific mantras that really awaken our consciousness. And we go around and we write down on a little piece of paper, each of us, something that we are aware of, a pattern or a thought, behavior, something that doesn't serve anymore and that we're really willing to let go of. And we put that into the fire. And then we go around again and we write down our intention. And at the end of the ceremony, which we do frequently whenever I was in India, um, the, my teacher Anand would put a red string, sometimes it's slightly yellow around us. And that, that served to me as this reminder of the commitment that I'd made to myself and to moving beyond what limited me and moving into what I knew I was capable of. And so here I was like going back and forth and having these incredible experiences in India. And then, you know, the, the work was really, how do I integrate that into my everyday life here? And how do I share that in the teachings and how do I hold myself accountable for it? Not just being an experience, but it, it really integrating into the way that I lived life. And this string was the most powerful influence when I got back from India to remind me of what it was that I, I believed in. Um, and it would, it would, um, you know, it's just a, a piece of yarn, but it would start <laughs> to dissolve over time. And the, the time that all of them, cause you end up piling them on your wrist, the, the moment that all of them had come off, um, my friends were graduating from college and I wanted to give them something special. And I had the idea, well, why don't I put a gemstone on a string kind of similar to these puja ceremony strings, um, but more subtle and, and give them what's been so powerful to me an opportunity to set intention. And so I got them pearls because pearl is all about self care and, and staying innocent to the moment. And I thought, okay, when you're finishing college and you're moving into the next chapter, real life really hits you. Innocence would be a really great uh, tool to come back to. 
And I created these gifts to them and I ended up creating a company basically out of that called Sankalpa where they, um, where there are different gemstones that you can choose from on a string and you set an intention and you wear it until it falls off so that you get to remind yourself and come back to what you're, what you're choosing to embody. And so, you know, reflecting back on that moment of Larimar in that gemstone store, probably seven years ago now, I never in a million years thought that I would have a jewelry company <laughs> um, with intention rituals and um, later go on to, I just opened up a meditation studio with my teacher two years ago called The Subtle Mind. Um, but that's, that's what the crystals did for me. They, they helped me to align back to what was natural and what nature wanted for me as opposed to what I thought I wanted for myself. Hmm. And I think that that's the potency of crystals. Crystals are these energetic blueprints or signatures of consciousness. They, they hold facets of universal truth, if you will. And this is because they come out of nature. They're, they're born out of the way that the elements in nature dance in time and space together. And so the way that nature is in a certain moment and the way that the elements interact comprise, you know, the blueprint or the structure of this crystal. And that's why different crystals have different properties. They're just expressions of nature. Hmm. And so what I kind of love is that crystals are very, very clear on what, who they are. <laughs> like if a crystal were a person, they would, she would be like a very empowered goddess, for example, mm -hmm. like, moonstone rainbow moonstone is one of the stones of uh what i would say the divine feminine and it's all about owning the creativity that we have inside owning the the cycles of nature that that we are a part of and not resisting or denying a certain aspect of ourselves but owning who we are and in that we shine more light so rainbow moonstone is in every facet of its, of its makeup is, you know, iridescent. And if Mainbow Moonstone were a person, she would be so in her power. Um, and this is just because the crystals are so pure. And so when we, when we either wear them or we, you know, have them in our space, they influence us because of the way that they are, are patterned and the way that they have a certain frequency. And so, you know, everything is energy, right? And this, this is how we connect to crystals through our own energetic body. They, we have a frequency, right? We vibrate a certain way. You and I are going to vibrate as a very different way. There's definitely going to be similarities. Um, but but our frequencies are our own. And when a crystal comes into our energetic space, into our energetic body, they amplify our frequency. They shift it in some way. And so if we have 
you know, a coping mechanism or a way of being that isn't really natural. We maybe picked it up, you know, when we went through some stress or we picked up an idea about how we should be from our friends or society, but it's, it's actually kind of vibrating in a way that keeps us stuck. Crystals come in and they help smooth that out. They Mm. help us come back to what's natural and, you know, living in this world today where it's constant, it's like the age of information, the age of like constant stimulation. I think, you know, we've just fallen out of touch a little bit with what is natural within ourselves. Oh yeah. Or a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Or or a lot. Yeah. That would be more accurate. Um, and it's, you know, I, speaking from my own personal experience, I know that I, there's an internal voice inside and I know that it's powerful, but then there's all these other voices of even the phrases that we get in our inbox of like these different marketing tactics that we don't even think we're giving power to, but as we're scrolling through our emails, we're literally intaking so much information from our external environment about how to be. And we're always on our phones. We are always doing five things at once. And and that's not to say, you know, look at what we're doing right now with technology. It's absolutely incredible, you know. But I think what I love about crystals is that they are natural. So I think the time is now to come back to what's natural and to bring elements of what is natural back into our environment and to nourish our energy by wearing the crystals because they just simplify everything. They just bring us back to love or speaking our truth or listening. Um, as the crystals embody these different ways of being, we remember, oh yeah, that's, I have that capacity inside. So yeah, well, and we are all just comprised of the different elements in the universe anyways. And just like you said, everything is a form of vibrational frequency, a form of energy. It's just what is that frequency that creates the specific shape of a specific crystal, of a specific animal, of a specific something else in nature, a tree or a rock or a river. And, you know, speaking from an Ayurvedic perspective, gemstones and crystals play a huge role in part of the holistic healing approach that we take to creating self-healing and stepping back into a space that supports a remembrance of our own true nature. And there is no way that a man-made manufactured technology could do that when also, like you said, there's already this brilliant natural technology in existence. And Mm. when we work with crystals and we work with mantra and we work with the Nada Yoga, the sounds, there is this sort of like coming home that we feel deep within. And I think that's why so many of us are coming into this wave of wellness and yoga and consciousness. And these things have been around for so long, for millennia. And it's not like it's this newfangled, like, oh, here's a crystal or try this yoga thing. (laughs) No, I mean, this is ancient wisdom. And we just in this lifetime, my lifetime and your lifetime, it's new to us at least in this physical embodiment. And so it's like, oh, so exciting. Okay, yes, we find, we're find we finding something that can work and help us feel calm and peaceful and connected to source. 
And I just always laugh a little bit because I have to remind myself sometimes, like, Jessica, (laughs) this is not new. It's just new to you. And (laughs) when we can have these conversations, though, and share this information and have a passion that allows us to really live our life in alignment with sharing these healing principles with others, I think we can do a real service to our community and um, help support other people and encourage other people along their journeys. Because, you know, all of this has started for you from one day happening to walk into that crystal shop supported by your yoga teacher training that started to open your mind maybe for the first time, I don't know, to some of these other alternative methods. And when you were telling the story, I just, I was loving it so much because it's, there's no accidents. And, Mm. you know, we talk a lot with philosophy of yoga and about, okay, well, what's, what's the difference between having like, um, destiny and free will and we have karma and we have dharma and how does this all mesh together and how does it all flush out and and play out and you know the answer is we have both but there are certainly things especially those pivotal moments in our life uh, those very profound moments in our life where to my core I do not believe that's an accident and it's it was all written in the stars Mm -hmm. before Mm -hmm. that moment happened and Um, it's just so beautiful. And I think what a gift for you too, to find that, um, when you were in college and a time Mm -hmm. that can be very confusing or destructive for a lot of people. And I know for me, um, I had another guest on the podcast a few episodes earlier and, um, her and I did our undergrad together at DU actually in Denver and yeah. And both of us had a, a pretty, um, or I guess I'll just speak for myself. It was not an optimal time in my life and uh, a lot of self-destructive behaviors and really kind of dark place and coming out of graduating from college, being really lost and confused and not knowing where I was going with my life. And that was before I found yoga. And then of course, once I did find it, I was able to really start to, uh, looking backwards with some hindsight, kind of understand the path that my life had taken and and why I had to go in that order. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I always like at the back of my mind, even as I respect that that was my journey, and I'm so grateful for the way it did unfold, still at the back of my mind, there's a little bit of like, damn it, I wish I had found yoga sooner. (laughs) (laughs) But it's that's but then it's just again, I brush it off because I'm like, well, not really, because we all need to be ready. And, you know, that, that beautiful quote, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And for you, it was that crystal. And so I think that is just really a beautiful short uh, story. Mm. And that changed like the trajectory of your life, but it didn't really change it. Cause I think this is where you would have ended up at some point anyways. Absolutely. I think, you know, our highest self or, that internal knowingness is always there. It's just, I know for me personally, I had to not listen to it. And that's the karma that I went through. And I think what I chose in this lifetime to go through, you know, a period of my life, like you said, that was not, didn't feel optimal. (laughs) Um, Where I, I didn't listen. I felt disempowered within my own self. And that 
period of my life then kind of stretch the spectrum of, okay, well, I'm not listening to myself. And I hit this moment of, well, oh my God, I want to listen to myself. So I had to fall out of connection with myself to realize um, that what I desired was to connect deeply with myself. And I think once any of us start down that path, we know all of us that have started that path, it never ends. It's this constant you know, peeling back of the layers of even now, like, oh, wow, I'm still not listening to the truth of who I am, who I am in this, in this way. Okay. Well now that quote comes back in, you'll, you're born free, you'll die free, but will you live free? Will you, will you use this moment to try a new way that's actually, you know, fostering connection and, and not, not the latter or the, the other you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think what's cool to me is that nature is all around us. We're never not resourced by nature. And, you know, crystals remind us of that food nourishes us and reminds us of that, you know, even just being with a real good friend and feeling that the heart of that person that you're talking to maybe brings you into that. And it's all just about can we awaken in this moment to what's actually going on? And that's where I think, um, can we awaken to the the potency and the power that we have inside to the truth of who we are? And that's where yoga, I think, and these practices of breath work and, and mantra and asana and nod, this, that's where these practices like you said, they've always been there, but now in an age when we really, really need it, we're all starting to awaken to the tools because they're so simple and so profound at the Mm. same time. Well, and that's also part of that process of, of the Viveka or the, the keen discernment that we talk about in the yoga also. And discernment is observation that leads into clear judgment. And this is what we do when we show up on the mat and we're practicing the asana and we're observing how our body feels and how our body changes day to day or pose to pose. We're observing that connection of the free flow of breath. What does that feel like when the energy channels of the body are open and we can process emotion and we can feel clear and light and enter more of of that sattvic state? And then we take those observations off the mat and incorporate them into our daily life to assist us in making choices that are more harmonious, more optimal, more uplifting across the board, you know, in terms of the big life stuff, like, okay, what's your job? Who are you going to marry? Where are you going to live? But we start small and we practice in the the smaller, less uh, important decisions that then, of course, end up (laughs) teaching us the most. But when I think about, about this idea of discernment and what we can learn from it. For me, every single time, it's like, okay, come back to the present moment, come back to the present moment. All we have is right now. And when we use these tools, like the crystals or the mantra, or some other very simple meditation techniques, observing the breath, then it's like, oh, all of a sudden, (laughs) things miraculously seem much more simple then mm-hmm. our crazy monkey mind wants us to believe. You know, the stories and the distraction that the thought forms create 
are mm-hmm. so wild and radical <laughs> in in a very um, obscure way. And all of these practices are about like, okay, peel it back, peel it back, move those veils of illusion, get clear, find clarity. And then through that process, then of course, we get back to that connection to spirit. And I love, it's almost like a circular argument, but every single time the answer is going to be meditation, contemplation, and practices of stillness. And so for me, it's like, okay, well, what tools can I use to help facilitate getting into that space of clarity, of discernment, of connection to spirit, source, self, the divine, Atman, Purusha, whatever you want to call it. And so I just, I I love that so much because it's like, ah, yes, in this technological era where we're so disconnected. And so that's like one extreme Mm -hmm. of the spectrum. And we all know what that feels like. And, you know. For many people listening to the podcast, that's all we've known, the age of, of the internet and being connected via device. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, yeah, what, who were we before we had that? <laughs> well, it's quite simple. Mm-hmm. But the answer is simple, but the process can be a little bit more um, arduous. <laughs> Discipline is required to, get, to make progress, I guess, on the spiritual path. But Mm. it's also very beautiful. Yeah, I think, too, something that meditation has helped me so much to understand about ourselves and the facets of every facet of ourselves. And is that, you know, when I first started yoga, um, I, I did a little bit of meditation before coming to my my practice now, which is Vedic meditation. And the I I there's this misconception that our thoughts are like bad, right? That we have to like thoughts or we want to still the thoughts in our mind and and meditation is when we can come to that place where there's no thoughts. And that's what I thought. And so I wasn't having very much success in my meditation. And yep. Then when I found Vedic meditation, I learned that thoughts are a part of meditation and that really, you know, um, within meditation, within Vedic meditation, particularly, it's a mantra based meditation that really, it takes, it takes us beyond our thinking. It takes us beyond into the more subtle layers of our being into that connection with our truth itself beyond the story, as you were saying. Um, and through that, the, it, what happens is that the irrelevant thoughts, the thoughts that come out of stress or, um, worry, fear is a big one. Those thoughts start to actually fade away. They start to, we clear out the irrelevant thoughts as we connect more deeply to our truth. The power of our thought becomes more relevant. and. I think that piece right there really helps to empower my love of my mind as opposed to the fear of my mind, you know, mm-hmm. and that the point isn't to stop our thoughts because that's the literal value of our mind. It's to think it's to make sense of our experience, just like, you know, the value of our hearts or the utility of our heart is to be and our lungs are to breathe air and oxygen us. And 
our thoughts are there really to show us, you know, what's next to, to, they are, they are our creativity coming through. And I think the more that my meditation practice shows me the, the beauty of my mind, the more I'm able to befriend my mind and actually what meditation has done for me is step me into so much creativity um, because of the way that I've been able to see the relevant thought. And um, also, I think what meditation has done for me, which I didn't even know I needed necessarily, I mean, I kind of did, didn't, but I didn't know how to heal was a lot of trauma and anxiety. And I think when we have that, we, we limit ourselves because we're, we're just in survival mode. Um, and our natural state of being is not in survival mode. It's in thrival mode. (laughs) I made up a word there, but (laughs) it's, it's, it's to live in harmony with our thoughts, with our feelings, with everything. And what the, the practice of Vedic meditation has done for me is that it, it's such a deeply restful practice that it's helped me to pull out stressors and traumas and really start to create new, you know, neural pathways in my brain that are strengthening the higher centers of our brain, the prefrontal cortex. And this is what makes sense of our experience. This is what um, allows us to fully process life and not go into that fight or flight mode. And so I think, you know, yoga, and I'm so glad science is really starting to show that now, but the power of yoga and meditation is so profound on a nervous system level for bringing us back when we've fallen so, you know, out of alignment with our nervous system health. It's, you know, this is where I think mental health and all of these issues that are being talked about now, which is so incredible. Um, There really is this natural way, like you've said, we've had for years, centuries um, within this yogic system that came out of a direct connection with nature that can bring us back. And so, you know, I think for me, it's like it's less discipline and more um, finding what works for you. And then it's like a natural, don't you feel it's a natural devotion that takes place because it just it's fostering that, that connection. Yeah, I do. And I think, I I think it's kind of a question though, a little bit of like chicken and egg, because I think there has to be an element of discipline (laughs) to start a meditation practice. And then I think over time and a continuation of that practice, and we start to feel a shift or a transmuting of energy within us, then it's like, oh, then that motivation seems a little less effortful and becomes more effortless. So I kind of, I, I, I agree and I sort of disagree. Um, but I totally agree with the idea that meditation doesn't have to be so rigid and it doesn't have to be so defined. I think there's many different ways in which we can practice quote unquote meditation or even beyond meditation or before meditation, the concentration aspect or the focus aspect that comes into kind of reining in the thought forms. And, you know, I'm just sort of thinking about, I wish I could draw a graph, but of course (laughs) this is a podcast, so it wouldn't make any sense to anybody. But um, 
thinking about when we first sit down to meditate and the mind is all over the place. And I think because of how connected we are to technology, that's why we're seeing such an amplification of anxiety. I mean, so many people, just like you said, with the mental health issues, so many people are getting more comfortable and vulnerable talking about anxiety specifically, which Mm -hmm. is a uh, vata disorder disturbance, which is the air and ether elements. And it's that constant, also, like you said, like being revved up in that fight or flight uh, nervous system response. And I think a lot of people, this is why they struggle with the meditation practice to begin with is first of all, they're confused about what meditation means. And they think it means you sit in Lotus with your back ramrod straight and you say, no thoughts, mm-hmm. no thoughts, no thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Which of course is going to be impossible for everybody to do. But even if you have an established meditation practice, many times you sit down and you love it and you're excited and you're like, yes, I can't wait. And you sit down and still there's sort of a dropping in period. I think that we need where your mind is still, it's not inherently bad, but there still is so much revved up energy or accelerated energy uh, just from the nature of our day-to-day life and everything that's going on around us. And it takes time for that to sort of fade away, dissolve, and then we come into more, I think, of a calmer state that supports the meditation. And I think this is why Um, You know, I have a a strong mantra practice as well. It's not specifically Vedic meditation, but mantra is one of my main uh, meditation practices to help focus the mind and to help me move beyond the very common distractions of the mind. Oh, what am I going to eat? Okay. Oh, I've got that email to respond to. Oh, okay. I've got to catch my bus later. And then the train comes and I've got that meeting. Like there's so much of that stuff that I think can be very helpful in certain times, just like you were saying, like, okay, well, our mind allows us to participate in the external world. But at some point, I think the practice has to shift and we disconnect from the external to plug in and tap in to the internal. And so there's a natural process at some point of the thought forms or of the mind distractions kind of simmering down. And then we just sort of, it's like a whoosh, where it's very quiet, it's very still, it's very peaceful. And it's, it's very personal, too, I think, our connection to our meditation practices. And that's why I, I love having this podcast, is so that we can talk about different people's approaches and different people's experiences with what meditation's all about and what we get from the practice when we show up and do it. But that's where it comes back for me to a little bit of the discipline and a little bit of the routine. I don't think, I'll rephrase this. I think it'd be very difficult to be successful in a meditation practice where you can find a true sense of peace and calm that you carry with you throughout your your day-to-day existence, which is less reactivity, less perhaps inappropriate emotional response to stimuli, I think it'd be very hard to maintain that sense of calm or of, of sattva unless you do have a sustained practice, a routine. Like if you Absolutely. practice meditation once, twice a month, I don't think you're ever going to get there. And so there has yeah. to be something that forces you to sit down and, you know, in Vedic meditation, you do it twice a day. <laughs> so yeah. there's certainly a level of discipline there. 
Well, for me, the experience is just of so much love, to be completely honest. Um, and I think, you know, the the nature of Vedic meditation is it's this it's a mantra based meditation. Um, but what makes it so different than some of the other mantra based meditations out there is that the the mantra actually has no meaning. And it's, it's made to take us into these subtler and subtler stratums of thought and eventually beyond our thought, um, altogether. And so the, what's actually really beautiful for me is that the Vedic meditation is this art of allowing the mind to, to, to wander, allowing the mind to be, and, and then coming to this mantra, which kind of, it is a sound and a vibration. And so it almost feels to me like a, um, like a lullaby or a sound bath in my mind. And like you're saying, there are, there are thoughts and there are that, but from the perspective of Vedic meditation, thoughts are actually a part of meditation because it's, it's actually our mind's way of releasing stress. And mm. And that has been so incredible for me to realize because if our thoughts are there to really stress, then there's a, that's good. That's great. My thoughts are there and the mantra is there. And, and my, my attention on, on the mantra, as opposed to getting lost in the thoughts, um, has really taught me a lot about, about life and how to, you know, where to bring my attention and where to, how to, how to honor our, our natural way of being and not exclude thoughts because if thoughts are releasing stress, well then great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so I think, you know, just very simply meditation has helped me to just find more acceptance of the different parts of myself, um, mm-hmm. which has been so relieving and so yummy. Like I look forward to my meditation just because of that experience of accepting and witnessing. Um, and that, that piece of discernment that you spoke so eloquently about is, is so fostered through our practices of meditation for our ability to not be attached to a certain aspect of our experience. Right. Um, but to allow ourselves to be unattached really does foster this witness perspective so that, you know, then we, we come into our lives after meditation and we have this ability to observe, like you said, and to discern, wow, like this is truth, but this isn't truth. And that's, this is also where crystals I think come in. And they really help us to, because they're so pure in their vibration, um, they really help us to cleanse anything that is um, not harmonious. They help us to clear disharmonious thinking patterns because they're amplifying on a vibratory level um, uh, and a rhythm. They're creating this rhythm inside of our energetic body so that then we're able to start to be in more harmony. Um, and so I think, you know, that's what just makes me so appreciative for, um, 
these practices is that it's helped me so much to just honor every aspect of who I am. And it's in that honoring where I fall back into harmony with what's natural. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it totally does. And it also ties back perfectly into your vision for the beautiful jewelry that you make is when you have gone through your meditation practice and you've cultivated this ability to discern <laughs> between what's useful and less useful information through the mind, then it becomes a lot easier to sort of uh, turn the spotlight of your energy and attention onto yes. the intention or sankalpa or the vibration of the specific crystal to really continue moving forward on that path of spiritual inquiry and spiritual development where it's like, okay, now you have a, just one more tool to help you stay the course. When you do get distracted by more of the superficial kind of, oh, what am I having for lunch? Oh, I have that email. Oh, I've got a, I'm late for the bus. Oh no. <laughs> um, which in Norway is actually a very big deal. If you miss your bus, you're screwed. <laughs> um, transportation's a little crazy here. But um, that's, you know, I think your jewelry has so much more behind it than just being beautiful. I mean, beautiful beauty has a place as well in the world, according to Ayurveda and yoga of course, but coming back to whatever we can use to help us refocus our attention. And, and then through that process, our energy follows whatever it is that we're attaching our attention to. Yes. So the, this is, I'm so, so passionate about intention because it's worked so effectively in my life. Um, and I think I'd love to just explain a little bit about from the yogic system and I'm sure, I'm sure your listeners are familiar and if they're not, then amazing. It's always good to hear um, again. Yes. <laughs> of the Koshik system. Yeah. Um, and so for, for those of you listening and that don't know, or just for a refresher from my state of consciousness on it, it's the, the Koshas are these in the yogic system, these different sheaths or bodies or layers of our being. And we have our physical body, which really governs our, our sleeping, our eating, our survival, um, moving our body and nourishing that physical plane within ourselves. And then we have a little bit subtler, and they keep getting subtler, our energetic body. And this is our life force. This is where we feel that sense of vitality and, and the energy to fuel our actions. And this is where breath work within yoga can be so effective for activating that life force within us. And then a layer subtler, we have our mental body. And this is where our thoughts and our emotions come into play. It's, it's the part of our being that processes our experience. And this is where intention comes in. Um, so then there's, there's two more layers and then I'll back up and talk about intention. Um, <laughs> the next layer is our wisdom body. And this is the experience that we have of our inner knowingness, the, the connection to these universal truths that we all share. And we get a layer more subtle through our connection to ourself within the yogic system. And we experience our bliss body, which is at the, the very core of who we are, this 
state of fulfillment that doesn't depend on anything. It's the experience of being in harmony with all that is. And so from this perspective within the yogic system, yoga is really to live within uh, all layers of our body in harmony, to live awakened within each of these layers. And Sankalpa, which is the name of my jewelry company, it means our heart's deepest desire mm-hmm. or internal resolve or intention. And it's not just a word in Sanskrit. It is actually this practice in the yogic system of going within, connecting to the deepest layers of who we are, to our wisdom body, to our bliss body. And from the connection really with what is our heart, right? Because when we connect to our deepest truth, it it is coming from our heart. Um, From this connection with our heart, set an intention. And then pull this wisdom from the, the most subtle aspect of who we are into the more grosser layers of who we are and manifest. And so when we set intention, what we're doing is we're, we're creating a thought. And what, what happens is that when we have thought, when we set an intention, this then creates, it gives energy to action. The, the mental body signals our energetic body, signals our physical body. And this is how we can actually take all the dreams that we have when we have an intention and actually start to manifest it. If we're bringing our conscious awareness to our intention, we're going to then all of a sudden create this alchemy of energy and thus behavior in the moment that creates a new way. And what's so cool is that crystals are these, again, like we talked about in the beginning, these energetic you know, signatures of nature. They are literally uh, holders of this life force. And so what they do is they further amplify the, the power and the potency of our intention. They give more energy to whatever it is that we want to manifest because let's say we set an intention that is to, um, to come from our heart and we work with a crystal such as rose quartz, which is all about connecting to the wisdom of our heart and to love, unconditional love, well, this vibration of unconditional love is then going to hold the power of our intention as we set intention into the crystal, right? It holds it so that then we have like this little friend on our side Mm. (laughs) that's reminding us, that's holding energetically the potential of what we desire to put into the the physical, into the physical form. Um, And so... I think when I figured that out, I was like, oh my God, why does, why doesn't everyone just set intentions with crystals and walk around with them all day long? Like <laughs> it's, it's like really powerful. Yes. Um, and, and to wear, you know, to, to wear something and to have it be a reminder to you always, um, is a commitment. It is a discipline, like you say, because, you know, with the Sankalpa in my jewelry, you set an intention, you wear it till it falls off. And that means that you can't take it off when you don't want to come from your heart in that fight. You have to come from your heart because you made a commitment. So even though you're, 
in that fight and you are wanting to defend your point of view, for example, <laughs> you look down at your bracelet and you soften and you're like, wait, that's not what I care about. I don't care about preserving my ego right now. What I care about is, is actually fostering love. And it, it helps to remind us in this age of information and this age of stimulation, what is natural, what we actually desire, because it, it does get really, um, demanding living in this world. And that's not to say that we don't have the power inside to create new ways to liberate ourselves from all of the conditioning. And so I think, you know, what I, what I learn every day within the, the practice of, of honoring my intentions is how much choice and power we really do have. It's just a matter of coming back to the present moment and coming back to the fact that we really do, we are free. It comes back to that quote, hmm. you know, we're born free, we'll die free, but will we live free in this moment? That is up to us. Yes. Oh my God. I love that. It's, oh, and it's so easy for us to drop into habitualized patterns and thoughts and routines on autopilot. Like yeah. it's very easy to just do the same thing over and over. I mean, that's karmic rut and, and to, to retrain ourselves sometimes. And I think that starts with the reminder of like, oh my God, we are so much more powerful then we give ourselves credit for being. And when we step into active and clear choice, we do have a tremendous opportunity to change those patterns, to step out of acting on autopilot and now step into acting with intention. And I think that's one of the most powerful things we can talk about is like, oh yeah, wake up, like snapping your fingers, wait, the cosmic, wake up. <laughs> We can do this. We have choice. We have power. When we connect to spirit, when we maybe shake things up and we, we're willing to have a little bit of courage to perhaps do things that are not in line with the status quo. And that's what I'm seeing around me more and more is more people who are kind of like, oh, yeah, you too? Me too. Let's change the status quo. Let's find a better way that feels better where we're more healthy and our relationships are more healthy. And it's just, again, come, all comes back to vibration and, and energy and how that energy flows and communicates with each other or one another. And, oh, my gosh. And, you know, too, I mean, that's a big part of the spiritual practice as well is conversations like this when we surround ourselves yeah. with other people who are on the path and we talk about topics that are uplifting and higher vibrational, then we, we do shift our vibrational frequency too. Mm -hmm. It's not just the things that we do solo, our own practices, our own intentions, our own crystals, our own mantras, our own meditation. Um, it's everything from the food that we eat the products we put on our body, the way we keep our space around us, which I'd love to have you talk about that too in relation to Crystal. Um, but there's, there's so much that goes into it that actually it no longer becomes a yoga practice and it becomes your lifestyle. And it's who you are day in and day out. Yes. And I think yeah. that's what's the coolest part about it. You know, 
this is, yes. And (laughs) we are a crystal. Like that's, we are, that's how um, ripe we are to shift in any moment, right? We are vibrating. And within that, you know, if we just imagine ourselves, here we are vibrating. We are these water bodies. We can change in any moment. We're not set in stone. And, you know, when, when we, when we realize that, then I think we, our values change and our sense of, of personal empowerment changes. And I think, um, you know, just remembering that everything is energy. And so talking about the, the space, I know you wanted me to talk about that and the, the potency of, of taking care of not only our internal environments with how we're eating and these different practices of yoga and breath work and meditation, but also our external environment being this, this vessel for it's this extension of ourselves. Um, and really this blueprint for how we experience life. So if our home, for example, is, is out of alignment with our intentions, then we have disharmony and we can take everything we just talked about and also apply that to our home in, in thinking about how we then would place crystals in our home. Well, what's your intention for your bedroom? You know, is it love? Is it deep rest? There's crystals for that. And so placing them in your bedroom is going to help emit that vibration. It's going to shift the frequency so that when you walk into your bedroom, you feel that sense of, of ease and you feel that ability to, to wind down. And maybe in your, your living room, I do space clearing and crystal gritting for clients. And I, I just did um, uh, a crystal gritted a client's house who works a lot with she has a nutrition practice and works a lot with young teens and, and does groups. And so she wanted to create kind of a, a space of, of acceptance and of open-mindedness and of co-collaboration. And there's a, there's a crystal called Candle Quartz that it fosters harmony within groups and it fosters this open flow of communication. And so we... We created this grid of candle quartz with uh, lithium quartz at the center. And lithium quartz, is it acts as a, um, it stabilizes your mood and the neurotransmitters. It balances your brain chemistry so that, you know, people, when they walk into her house, feel this ability to let go, this ability to be seen, this ability to work together to see new ideas and also to start to regulate their emotions as things come up um and so we can do you know we can apply the same approach of i want to wear rose quartz to invoke more love well i want to create this environment within my home um we can do the same thing and then it it really just goes down to you know back to those those layers of our body the koshas when we work on a subtle layer of our being, so more mental body, more energetic body, the ripple effect goes through all the layers of our being. So when we work with energy, um, doing crystal gritting or even acupuncture and Reiki and um, you know Ayurveda, when we 
when we energetically alter our structure to align with what's natural and pure, this creates this ripple effect that that is massively impactful in our lives. It, it opens up the doorway for us to live in more harmony. Um, so it's, it's so potent. <laughs> mm. uh, I want to hire you. Oh, that sounds so cool to like, that's very cool. I've like never even considered that. I didn't realize that was an offering that people had um, in terms of working with crystals that you choose the intention for your home or a specific area of your home. Like I, I of course have crystals in my house that I've chosen based on my limited knowledge and yeah, it's like, Oh my gosh, what an amazing opportunity to have somebody who's really an expert come in and help guide you in that selection. And can I ask you how many crystals do you have in your home that like you use that are, that are, like, do you rotate them through different areas of your house or do you have some that you leave kind of in the same place all the time? Okay. So I, I couldn't possibly give you a number of how many crystals I have. That just gives you an idea of okay. how many yeah, crystals I have. That's own. a lot. <laughs> um, but I do have, so I have, um, in my home, I have the, every extremity, the outer corners of my house is gridded, gridded with black tourmaline. And black tourmaline acts as a black hole for sucking out any um, EMFs, any negative energy, any electronic damage that you might have, the stress chemistry that emits from electronics. Um, and it, it helps to seal in good energy and seal out negative energy. So um, I always recommend that and always do that whenever I crystal grid people's homes and those stay. Um, there's actually a really cool ritual that you can do with Mason jars, Himalayan salt, lemon and water, alkaline water. And you can place, um, in the four corners of, I would say your office where the most amount of electronics are. You place the black tourmaline, one in each mason jar with those ingredients, and you leave them for 72 hours, and this sucks out and creates this blueprint that it creates a vortex, basically, so that after those 72 hours, you can take the mason jars out, you leave the black tourmaline in, and any stress chemistry that enters that room dissolves. So that I keep always, and I'll do every like three months, I'll do that cleanse with the lemon water, Himalayan salts. Do you leave those uh, like on the floor or are they on like a shelf yeah. or on a window seal? On the floor in the corners because it's, you actually want it to be like in, on earth level. So mm -hmm. more, so if you have like a, a multiple story house, you'd want to do it on your first floor, not the basement. That doesn't count. <laughs> um, <laughs> because we're really working out the energies like above earth, you know? Um, so on the ground level in the corners and then, and then I have different crystals. I have selenite. Selenite is this beautiful white crystal that is very, very soft and it basically has this energy of liquid light and I place them in every windowsill in my entire apartment um, because that creates this filter when the energy that's coming through the windows, um, it, it moves through the selenite and that the selenite 
cleanses any density, really. So it acts as this filter so that only light moves through your space. So those stay on the windows and they actually are consistently being charged by nature in that way, which Mm. is amazing. Um, And then I have in my bathroom, I have some apophyllite and clear quartz and apophyllite really creates this subtle, soft, light filled vibration. It allows the, the light from your highest self to permeate through your whole body and environment. Um, I also have black tourmaline in there and mica because mica often comes, you'll see on black tourmalines, there's some shiny parts a lot of the time. And mica is the stone of self-reflection and self-acceptance. And for me, my journey constantly is about unfolding new layers of how I can accept myself and seeing ways I still don't and loving myself. And so in rooms with mirrors, I always have mica because I think it's really important to see beyond the image and to, you know, really start to embody accepting all parts of yourself. And that's, I'm not perfect. I'm definitely, I'm definitely practicing that. And so the mica is so good for that. And the apophyllite kind of soothes the emotional body as well. Um, in my bedroom, I also, I'm currently sitting on my bed. So I also have a Lemurian quartz crystal that I keep. Sometimes I'll hold it when I meditate, but I usually keep it in between the selenite on my windowsill. And Lemurian quartz, it's said that when you rub this crystal, there's these ridges on it. And as you rub it, you connect to the ancient wisdom of civilizations that came before us. And so I love to have that in my bedroom because that's where I usually meditate and it's where I sleep. And so if I can be, you know, downloading and open to receive the wisdom that, that came from these civilizations before the age of technology, where everything was more harmonious, um, the, this crystal, I find to be really impactful for that and with meditation. And then I have these crystals that I, the the crystals that I would change out or that I play with are more stones that I can hold in my hand and I have them scattered around wherever and they kind of come with me. Like they'll come in my pocket or I'll take them to our meditation studio for a group meditation. And one of my favorite stones, which I think everyone in this world should have and no one really knows about is Danburite. And Danbright is this light pink crystal that it, the, the crystal basically allows for the wisdom of our highest self to enter in through our heart. And the way that that's experienced or the way that I experience it, experience it is that the voice of my heart is stronger. It mm. speaks as opposed to the, the voice of my intellectualizing things. Um, And so I usually hold this whenever I teach my new moon circles or when I'm leading workshops or I'm currently holding it right now. Um, (laughs) So I think I have crystals that, that I resonate with. And, you know, I was even going to say, like you said that you have crystals around your house from your quote limited knowledge, but I don't think anyone can say that because I think that your heart knew what you wanted and you listened and you got it. And so there's not really a right or wrong way to go about 
you know, there's a science to crystal gritting, of course, and all of that. But if you feel empowered, you know, to buy a certain crystal because you resonate with it, that's like the most empowering, beautiful act of listening to yourself and nature that you possibly could take, you know? Mm. And so that's another thing I love about crystals. They're just now everywhere. Thank goodness. They're, they're even at Urban Outfitters now. No. Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. And somehow like the intelligence of the crystal world has come in and it's like they're there for everyone to have their own experience. And, you know, I imagine some people just buy them because they're pretty and that's amazing because that's where they're at and they might never know that the crystal makes them feel good. Hmm. Or they might one day be like, every time I hold this crystal, I feel a certain way. Huh? What is that? Hmm. You know? So I think there's this silent wisdom to crystals that when we're drawn to them, we should just listen. Yeah. Well, and that kind of answers the question I wanted to ask you, which is how do we go about like selecting crystals? Yeah, it does. And I think I love this question so much because I think it's such a, a gem, genuine question. Like people ask this to me all the time. Like, how do I pick the right stone for depression? Or how do I pick the right stone for loss? I get that one a lot. Hmm. Um, the answer to that one, I, I will always say is rose quartz. It's so good for that. Um, and what, what I think... I see in people asking this question is the influence that we've gotten from a lot of the ways that we kind of like label ourselves. Like I have this problem, so how do I fix it? Um, and I studied psychology at CU too. So I think I was in that world for a while and just sitting in that was like, wow, I, I think it's so important to identify certain patterns that we're going through, but then to not label, you know, ourselves as something, um, and I think when we, when we just allow ourselves to, before looking up the definition of a stone, before asking anyone outside of ourselves, if we allow ourselves to go physically up to a crystal and hold it and close the eyes and just connect to the way that it makes you feel, that is the only way to choose a gemstone. Because if it feel, if you resonate with it, then that means that it's, you know, you, it's your highest self asking you to listen to that certain aspect of nature and thus yourself that you've maybe forgotten. And the, the crystal I've always found, if I'm drawn to a crystal, it's because I need to build that frequency inside of myself and no one else can tell me that, you know, mm. and, and especially because there's so many crystals that are very similar um, even, even the same crystal, but a different shape is going to have a different energetic signature. And so you, it's a, it's funny probably to observe me in a crystal shop because I'll be holding two, you know, quartz crystals and they look probably like the same thing, but one of them I'll walk home with because of the way that I resonate. And so I think that we can just simplify everything and just allow ourselves to, um, to look at the beauty of it, because as you said, beauty does have a role to play. It does show us what's, what's charming and what's, what's evolutionary about ourselves and, and then feel it. And that's, it's as simple as it, 
as it, it, that's as complex as it needs to be. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And that's, it comes back to just the most profound wisdom anyways, which is <laughs> listen to the wisdom within. That's it. That's the, that's the answer to every question. Totally. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I, I have had so much fun talking with you, Victoria. I have learned a lot and I just, I want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom with, with the listeners of my podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I love, it's not every day that I get to talk about this stuff in such depth. So yeah. I, I so appreciate you holding the space for that and offering the, the perspective that you have is so inclusive and it, I think I just so enjoy talking to you because of the way that you think big and the way that you foster connection. So it was thank super you. enjoyable for me. Yes. Oh my gosh. And we'll include um, a link to both of your websites. We didn't even talk about your meditation studio, the subtle mind in Boulder. Um, so we'll include a link yes. to that. And then your uh, beautiful online jewelry shop, shop Sankalpa. So people can find you. Amazing. Thank you yes. so much. Oh, you're so welcome. Bye, Victoria. Bye.